Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. Every couple weeks or so, your hosts gather to talk about our favorite game, Dwarf Fortress. So let's join your hosts, Roland. The, okay, right now I spored around 2,000 fish. Tony. You know the classic story. No, no, it wasn't in this crazy one. because And Jonathan. Looking at whether or not I have enough food for my fortress, whether I need to, like, either start... As they present insightful, irreverent, and often incorrect analysis. And always remember, losing is fun. Welcome back, everyone, to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. So we're back for episode 63, and joining us today is Nathan also known as Tekkid from the YouTube channel Tekkid. Welcome, Nathan. Hello there. Welcome back, actually. Yeah, this is uh, this is time stay number three, I think. Glad to see you guys put my name on the chair this time. Got it reserved for me. <laughs> well, any, anything, sir? Sure. Well, we had some other name on there, and at the last minute, I went and, and you know had some, some needlework done. To take off the Conan. multi-syllable, you know, you the one that's like Conan. five or six syllables. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Conan O'Brien was our was our was our guest, but he unfortunately pulled out at the last. Yeah, well, I mean, no offense to Conan O'Brien, but times are moving on. I think it's my time in the uh, the sun here. I think well, I can outdo honest, that guy. Your Dwarf Fortress content is uh, far better than his. What that guy's doing. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, crap that is true. To that, I mean, what has he ever done? But do you have Max Weinberg playing drums? That's the question. I need a drummer. That's what my channel really needs is a drummer. Exactly. You could just get yourself a Roland. Not the one here, but like one of the, you know. (laughs) What? The OG. Like the OG. So I'm not the OG Roland. There's the Roland, you know, the the 404 and the 808, you know, the drum drum, drum machines. You're an electronics manufacturer, correct, Roland? Yeah. Also, I also make shoes. Yeah. yeah, I'm a hot dog manufacturer, you know? Delicious. I now I'm hungry and I want to listen to techno. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was last summer whenever you were on last time. Yeah, like if that, it was so. even the last season. I can't remember. So much has happened. Actually, it must have been because I didn't even start my content until the middle of last yeah. year. So who knows? What is so, yeah, time anymore? Congratulations on picking up all the all the subscribers, man. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I uh, did not expect it to happen so, I don't know, fluidly. Like it just climbed up. To a thousand, and I was like, "Oh well, there. I guess there it is. I'm, I'm a professional. Woo! I know that's what I'm doing." The, that's the punishment you get for creating worthwhile content. <laughs> that's like good content, good voice, and uh, and you know, you, you have people watch it. So high production value. Go figure. Right. I used to. Uh, I used to disagree with uh, uh, my ex and others that I have a good voice because you know everyone hears their voice differently in their head, and I guess the uh, the particular frequencies just don't bounce around in my skull the way they do in the air. And then I started this and like the whole world was like, you're an idiot, dude. You, yeah, you don't sound, you don't sound bad. I was like, Oh, well it's deep, resonant and articulate. That's uh, clear. Three things that you want. It's articulate when I try, but I'm from the Midwest. So when I'm having a regular conversation, I get a little bit of uh, mush mouth that I have to fight against sometimes. Yeah, I know the struggles of uh, talking English as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the next one in German, just so we can feel what right. it must be like for Roland. Dwarf Fortress Roundtable is brought to you in part by a grant from Mr. Gutsy, head librarian of Iron Traded's new Hall of Scholarship, the Creative Treasury. 
All are welcome to visit the Creative Treasury on Iron Traded's office level to expand their knowledge and encourage happy thoughts. Scholars and scribes, please contact Mr. Gutsy for information about setting up a residency in the Creative Treasury. All right, in the news, we have a what I consider to be quite an exciting development that came out on the Bay 12 Games Report on February 1st. This is a direct quote from Toadie's soundbite, if you will. He said, we are working on a public-facing roadmap now to take us all to the release with some more clarity. Not sure exactly when it'll be posted, a few weeks or a bit more, perhaps. That is pretty cool. A few weeks or a bit more. Hey, man, whatever works for him. Like, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> you know, I, just well, wanted, I want him to feel good about it when he puts it out. Besides the old dev pages, I don't think that he has ever had any kind of uh, roadmap that was public-facing. Yeah, that's true. I think this is extremely cool. I, I've been part of a lot of early access games since uh, like Minecraft. And I think that was my first, maybe. There's like two reasons why this could happen. Either they're under pressure to maintain enthusiasm for the game that's dwindling, which is kind of the nefarious reason to make a roadmap. And usually it ends up not being accurate. Or they actually just have a really good idea of what is left to do. They actually kind of know what they're going to do. And I think judging from how uh, Toady One has approached this project so far, he doesn't seem the type to ever give to the pressure of the corporate machine, so to speak. I, I highly doubt it's the first. I'm sure he just actually has a good idea of what's left to be done. I don't even know who would be the ones pressuring. If anybody, it would have to be Kit Fox, and I yeah. just really don't see that happening. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, Kit Fox mm-hmm. doesn't seem the character to be doing mm-hmm. that kind yeah, of Yeah, they don't stuff. have that twirly mustache or anything, do they? Yeah. <laughs> twirly mustache. You know what I mean. <laughs> Kit Fox has their own things going. They don't seem to care that much. I shouldn't say care, but they, they don't seem to, to have a focus at all on their, on their website, uh, yeah. at least about Dwarf Fortress at all. No, you know, boyfriend dungeon and and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. agreed. They've got Which a lot sounds of other like things. An evil, evil game. <laughs> <laughs> all that uh, like something. Yeah, all that optimism though aside about the roadmap, I will say this is still video game territory, and as a result, even the the most benevolent video game developer is subject to the pervasive optimism that comes with making dates and roadmaps. So even though Toadie is probably being completely honest, when we see the roadmap, I think we all have to understand that we should expect up to double the time that the roadmap indicates, depending on circumstances. Well, I doubt that he'll even have dates on the roadmap. It'll probably be more like these are the things that we need to do. Yeah, if he's going to do it really, really wisely and, and, and tighten it up, he probably won't put dates on it. Every date will be it'll happen when it happens. Well, doesn't the Steam page actually say time is relative? Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's pretty indicative of what we might get, which is and totally cool. Like, you know, I don't want him to cyberpunk 2077 this thing. Oh, let's not go then to that direction. Who? Dual Fortress 2077. No. Yeah. <laughs> he removes a whole bunch of features from the game and ships it. <laughs> Urist Silverhand. Like, wait, there's no Z levels anymore? Damn it. <laughs> But one thing that uh, that they have worked on developing, and it's not on a roadmap because the roadmap's not out yet. Alexander from Kip Fox posted a report on the Steam release news. 
and uh, links to these will all be in the in the show notes. It shows uh, that during world development, world generation, a text box is going to appear displaying the significant events that, that happened during world generation. And every second, you're going to get an update of the most important thing that's happened in the world generation uh, in the last second of, of development. So cool. that could be really, really cool. Yeah. That'll be fun. I'm really excited for that. Super excited for it. Uh, in my opinion, uh, Legends mode is probably the biggest benefit to the player hidden under the biggest pile of confusion. It's like the one yeah. thing that would probably be the best boon to the game if it were just dug up and brought to the surface. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. That's the one that when you tell people about it, you're like, no, you don't understand. Listen, this is what's happening. And it's very difficult to communicate that or even like have people figure out how to view the Legends mode. It's very complicated. I do wish that he would figure out a way to have that Legends mode data accessible during a fortress run uh-huh. somehow. And of course, I don't know how the thing works under the hood, but is the reason that it's not for, for game integrity so that you don't know what's going on outside your fortress or no, I don't think that's a problem. Meth hacked it. There's a switch in world generation. If you go to the advanced world generation parameters, you'll see an option for reveal all historical events and you can turn that off. And then if you were to access legends mode, I'm not exactly sure how much information is revealed, but you may have a limited amount that makes sense to include in the game where you don't necessarily know about this other civilization's elven diplomat that turned into a werewolf and then bit the human civilization's queen. And then there was a war. I I remember Meth has a mod that you can get that will let you uh, build a library, like a librarian's desk or something as a workshop, and then you can use that workshop to interact with Legends mode. Yeah, it actually works fairly decently. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it crashes. It has a scary um, warning on it. (laughs) Yeah, it, it has the scary warning of it might crash and then you lose your progress. Mm-hmm. I used it a, a while because I wanted to find out if that is actually very nice or not. And I would quick save every time because it actually did crash a couple of times on me. Uh, however, I I paddled back a little bit and now I just use the uh, extracted legend stuff of the legends viewer. You know, that the stuff that you get out with DF hack, export legends. Then mm-hmm. I use legends viewer on a different window. Uh, it's not updated with every year or every month or whatever. So I can't really see what is happening right now in my fortress. I can only see what has happened in the last year or whenever the last time was I did like the the extract of the uh, legends, which is sad because I would love to see the very, the very um, newest updates to it. Yeah, all of those Legends mode viewers have that same problem, except for perhaps a MEF's library mod, which I have to check that out again. Uh, again, I'll link that in the show notes so that you can download. Uh, is, is that part of MEF's launcher? I believe that it is in his... Don't think it's been updated uh, recently, yeah, but, uh, he, but in any case, uh, might not I'll, be I'll check that out. It, but... But the but the problem with all of those Legends mode viewers is that you have to remember to dump your Legends data between fortresses and I never do that. Yeah. Whenever I retire a fortress or one, you know, just dies, oh the first thing I want to do is embark again. And then I embark again and go, oh crap, I should have exported. 
and I'm too lazy to to you know make a copy yeah. of my saves and do the whole thing. I'm in that camp, uh, and it, this is why I think that this is such a huge development for the game. This little mini view we're going to get during World Gen. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm in that camp of I really really love Legends mode. I really really like what I can find out, what I can learn about my civilization. I don't use it. I don't use it because it's just like I don't want to have to go to a different program basically to learn about a game I'm playing on another. Like if, if it were just more available, I would use the crap out of it. And uh, I think that having like little tips, fun tips, and then a legends viewer that works in the game uh, might inspire people or direct people. At least it'll direct people into legends mode to where they need to be like, Oh, your civilization, like your civilization just started a war with the elves. Now, you know that you can find a war with elves that that's relevant to your game somewhere in legends mode instead of going in blind and sifting through a sea of of sands or a, a you know a beach of sand grains looking for the one that you know counts for something yeah yeah if you could have a news feed uh of things that relate to your civilization and or your uh, your fortress or your enemies yeah that would be that would be cool but yeah I, know, I, uh I am very happy that we have what we have. Yeah. You mean the external yeah. <laughs> programs? Yeah. Well, yeah, we do have those. We do have those. But again, the only one that I've heard of that possibly could be done real time in a sense is Mef's library mod. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got scared off by the warnings on it and then I moved and I jump around tile sets and went back to the, the, traditional lazy new pack so I, I didn't use the meth pack anymore so I, I gave up on that aspect of it but. save early and often yeah <laughs> okay. so those are the big two uh news items that we've had since the last uh pretty the big. Last time that we we met yeah yeah maybe next time we'll be talking about the new release <laughs> it'd be nice <laughs> at least maybe we'll be talking about the roadmap to the new release anyway next time oh yeah Bless. i did want to just give a quick shout out to krug smash's splatterface uh his third annual splatterface tournament he got some really good art of his uh of his combatants so if you haven't yet checked that out it's a it's a very entertaining and, and some very nice drawings of some very imaginative uh forgotten beasts that are being used as combatants so yeah there we are with a krug smash button again <laughs> I we need, you need an old radio broadcast soundboard, and you need a button that goes like, Krug smash! Is this oh. a YouTube channel? <laughs> I, I'm not familiar. <laughs> Never heard of it, yeah. Does he, does, does he make, make videos? Attention members and guests, Hall Administrator Bloodtoes encourages all crafts dwarves to come admire the Grand Guild Hall to the The Guild of Ceilings, the Constructive Rope. No other guild hall in Iron Traded can match the grandeur of the constructive rope, and Bloodtoes endeavors to keep it that way. Happy thoughts are guaranteed. Don't you wish you were a crafts dwarf? Let's take a look at these questions that we've received from our listeners. Got a few in since we have last covered Q&A session, and it'll be great to get Nathan's input on these items here. Justin asked in a comment on episode 59, how to deal with excess prepared food. I suggest you just trade it off. And, uh, and he did that. 
but he also commented that he believes that food stored in stockpiles uh, might be able to become spoiled due to vermin. And that didn't sound right to me, but I don't know it. Can vermin ruin food? Um, should I start, or do you want to start, Nathan? Uh, you probably have the technical knowledge about whether or not vermin <laughs> spoil food. I actually don't know that one because I don't care. I'll explain why. But go, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so yeah. the simple answer is yes. Vermin can spoil food. It is Even in stockpiles. In the stockpiles, yes. And uh, there is oh, what was it? Um, one of the evil things, creepy crawlers, evil eyes. I'm not sure. One of the evil things that actually makes spoiled food faster. However, it seems that this is basically the only vermin that can do that. So if you're not in a evil biome or in a good biome even, and you only have fluffy wamblers, then you're pretty good to go. However, they might gnaw on it and then it disappears. In a stockpile, uh, is the difference here is if you have it in a barrel, it's not getting spoiled. Not by like natural spoiling, nor by any vermin uh, that you possibly have. So what we're talking about is just raw food sitting on the floor. So like a like a leg of lamb just you know chilling on the floor <laughs> that that gets spoiled. Yes, on a floor in a stockpile. Yeah, or, or just on the floor. But uh, huh. only like it spoils on the floor naturally. We all seen that. You know, the, in the butcher workshop, there's a lot of stink usually if you butcher too much. Right. But in the stockpile, it only spoils if you have one of these creepy crawlers or evil eyes. I really have to check that. But one of the vermin kinds in the evil biome that spoils it even in the stockpile, yeah. Yeah. I consider excess meals, particularly excess meals and food, to be more of a spoilage on a fortress than any vermin can uh, enact on the food itself. So I don't really care. I think, in fact, vermin are probably doing you a favor. If you have an excess food production problem by helping get rid of some of that crap. Oh, interesting. I've been looking at community forts and stuff lately. And uh, a although it's not present in all forts, there are some very well uh, buttoned up forts. There is commonly an awful problem with overproduction of food. But it looks like it's it's it looks like you solved the problem and traded it away. Right which is obviously a good way to do it. If you don't need a bajillion dwarf bucks, then uh, then I recommend switching to lavish meals only and uh, uh, setting up a work order and then following half of your farms, uh, farm uh, seasons and uh, just see where your your excess goes. Is Does it continue to grow? Does it begin to dwindle? And then uh, make another adjustment to your farms from there because you're going to cost yourself frame rate and you're going to have gigantic stocks lists or kitchen lists. You, you don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want all that food. Nobody needs that much food, especially yes. if you're farming for it. No, you need it. You need it. You need no, all no, of no. it. You need, like, yeah. Those those six, uh, what what did I have last time? Um, seahorses, you know, just six seahorses chilling in a barrel. Just, you know, you need those. It's perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess just if you're a collector. Hungry heads. I've got a hungry head here attacking everyone. Remember hungry head? <laughs> Maybe that can help you with your food, your food yeah, stocks. You know, more hungry heads, it's more mounts to feed. And it's, I mean, it's clearly hungry. So I, I do feel the need to give a little bit of context there. Uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Uh, uh, Nathan and Roland run a, run a 
Bloodline Fortress together that they stream the the management of. And uh, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. <laughs> but yeah. it sounds like uh, one of them uh, prefers to have more food stockpiled than the other. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. I don't, I don't sacrifice the meals. I just try to make the food into meals. And then Roland can do so, what he pleases with them. Let it rot. We'll talk about that later, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, let it rot, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it, if it even matters, but whenever uh, I'm looking at whether or not I have enough food for my fortress, whether I need to like either start hunting or, or bump up production, I hit the Z key and look at my food stocks. I like to see, you know, for a, a hundred dwarf fortress, I like to see somewhere around six, seven hundred food uh, overall uh, in my stockpiles. And that's what I kind of go by. If I don't have that much, I try to produce more. If I have more than that, I, I back off production. Is that overproducing? No, um, I don't think so. No, no, that is definitely no. uh, a very sensible number. I think I'm usually like, are we talking about like everything together or just Ye- other? Everything minus drinks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You're really like flying low here because good Lord, my stockpiles are usually like at 2000 each. Oh God. Um, I can actually check. I usually, okay. Right now I sport around 2000 fish, three, almost 4,000 plant. um, And slightly over 10,000 other things, which includes prepared meals. Let me just so, say this, Roland. Your, <laughs> your one of your three stockpiles for food is larger than any stockpile I've ever made in this game. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> for anything, I've never made a wood stockpile that big. I've never made a stone stockpile that big ever. And yeah, three I have to. I have to admit, in this current thing, I actually have four large stockpiles that are just full with food, and I keep like making prepared food now. So this, this is actually not the apex that I had of like a mound. I already sold a lot of it and it, it, you know, I I make it into prepared meals and sell it for way over the price. So this is absolutely not the apex, but my food stockpiles were so full that every single square was full with a barrel that was full. And then there was like stuff rotting and, corners of my my fortress because i just literally not had the space to put it anywhere i am one of those people that overproduce Uh, so your numbers sound yeah very nice yeah for comparison to to mine i have my manager set up food production orders that usually stop at about 500 or a thousand depending on my population uh prepared meals i ignore ingredients and uh then I have my drinks at about a thousand for a full fortress. That's a full season of drinks for two hundred, and that's where my manager will stop production. But uh, yeah, when when food gets overproduced, we're talking like exponential growth levels. We're talking someone someone has like five hundred food items. That's fine. That makes sense. Then it yeah. starts to drift up to a thousand. Okay, but no big deal. You're not overproducing. Overproducing doesn't start till that grows into ten to fifteen thousand. Like it's exponential. Oh yeah. All of a sudden, I've never had that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens like that. Thanks, Justin, for the for the question. We'll probably get back more into this. I have a feeling coming up when we discuss Singe Metal proper. Russell sent in an email uh, praising Captain Duck's tutorials. He also asked if any of us have tried. 
a hermit fortress, meaning a, a fortress where you end up with just one dwarf doing everything. Has anyone else done that? Um, Outside of adventure mode, because that kind of sounds like yeah. uh, the hermit uh, fortress. Yeah, I tried it one yeah. time. It was hard. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Russell thinks that the that the funniest part and also the most tragic is having to kill off the other six dwarves and dealing with uh, your migrants. So you'd have to kill off or dispose of your migrants in some way. I guess you could just um, you could just uh, exile all of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a very nice thing that you can use if you have DF hack that is just uh, slap in something something slash hermit you have to look up the the actual command for it but that disables all migrants so you only work what you have on the map and i had i tried it with one dwarf that was hard you know because the poor dwarf has to work all day and only gets very little things done and then he's really lonely so um you you kind of have to make sure that he's a dwarf that actually likes being lonely. Otherwise, the fortress really does just has a limited time of of runtime until he breaks that it can possibly go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very sad. Instead of that, I just tried like a family fort. I had um, two families, and they started to like marry each other, and you no, know, I had like a nice large family after a while that worked way better but a hermit fortress is insanely hard because you tend to overwork the dwarf mm. and then you're like you know me as overproducer in food items for example i don't even know how much food i need to get a single dwarf through a year so i produced uh, almost a hundred drinks and then realize that that is so much for the single dwarf. I basically never have to touch uh, making drinks in the next few years again. Um, but my my dwarfs hated it. Be uh, like my my dwarf singular hated it because he had to to work several weeks just brewing alcohol. It's hard. Tony, how long did your fortress last? Do you remember? Oh, not too long. Um, yeah, I think he fell in the water and died. That's what I think happened. <laughs> So was it in this same insane story. world? No, no, it wasn't in this crazy one, because I'm sure the undead would have killed him. Dwarves and water, man, they don't mix. <laughs> I know, uh, you should have been more careful. <laughs> I've never done, I've never thought about doing a hermit fortress from the beginning, but actually somewhat recently I thought about if a fortress were to start spiraling, right, and it just basically is is doomed, I would probably try to take some kind of immortal dwarf that might be in my population, like a necromancer or a vampire or something, and hold them up in a castle or, or wherever and let the fortress die and then just have this like bitter old vampire or something living among the corpses of his his uh, forgotten friends, so to speak, and, and just like have this like tower of my own, like this tower of like draculaic sadness draculaic is not a word it is now but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very it's a you know it's easy to envision that but uh that has to you know there has to be circumstances for that to happen you can't start an embark on the context of uh, a fortress that has been through 10 years of of uh of growth and then sudden misery uh, by the way i think draculaic is a great new adjective we have coined a term for sure 
All right. So thanks, Russell, for sending in your question and comment. And uh, we've got another comment here, but I'm going to actually save uh, Calvin's until our next episode. So, Calvin, uh, thanks for, for sending us in the email. But uh, I think that we may end up having a long uh, discussion about this one as well, if that's okay with you guys. Mm-hmm. I don't mind. Because we need to move on to our prime topic today, which is to discuss uh, Singe Metal. So we'll be right back and we'll talk about that. Attention members and guests, Brendan Poole has established the Mint Roots Guild Hall to the Farming Guild the Leafy Hall. All guild members should spend time at the Mint Roots to increase their efficiency at bringing forth sustenance from the earth. Seminars will be given this year on establishing above-ground crops for adding variety to the diet of iron-traded citizens. All right, so as most of our listeners probably know, and if you don't, then uh, then you need to check out our show notes for a link to the respective stream locations. But Roland and Nathan have a bloodline fortress that they're doing together called Singe Metal. That's right. Singe Metal. Pretty uh, pretty cool. awesome name. So oh, yeah. How old is that now? As game years. Uh, I just finished year nine. Yeah, so I'm going to start year 10 soon-ish. It's, it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would say the fortress is moving faster than with a single <laughs> manager in terms of growth or slower because there's so much different stuff happening when you have two people running a fortress. Yeah. Uh, normally, one person will ignore half the game. I would ignore justice. Like, I don't, I don't care, whatever. You know, I hardly ever visited that menu. And I would focus <laughs> on industry, whereas Roland would probably ignore the time I put into my crafting floors and instead work on military injustice. Yeah, that, that, that is that is correct. But it's also very nice because I don't have to get into like the whole food production thing. You know, I, I mean, we in the fortress, there is still slight overproduction, but it's not as stupidly massive as something that I would have crafted myself. So everything kind of works. I just put in uh, into the manager like I need I need this and that many swords i need this and that many and and they do it and i know they do it and i just have to check if we actually have the steel bars for it and um then i can go back to doing what i love which is justice or like military things but the game is also really trying to to make sure i i don't have the time and my dwarfs don't have the time so we got <laughs> got attacked a lot of times which the attack itself very harmless, okay? I trained the dwarves. They're pretty good. They know what they're doing. You know, they, they know which end of the spear goes into the goblin. But the cleanup is terrible, <laughs> okay? Yeah. So uh, the the worst year was the year six, I think, for me. Uh, because I had three attacks and I finished cleaning every time, and then the the new attack would come, and I'm like, oh god, no, not again! And I just sat there with like really big eye bags at some point <laughs> because it was like, oh yeah, sure, of course, an attack, you know. And then the elves came, and I'm like, ah, oh, elves, you know, whatever. And then they came with a lot of war animals, and I'm like, wow, it it, it keeps happening. They keep popping into my map, you know. They keep yeah. popping in. 
I and think then, that the game has become sentient against us because yeah, uh, they're really it, trying. It knows what we what we don't want to happen, and it's not the fortress. It's not the dwarves dying. It's the fortress becoming cluttered with with garbage. Mm-hmm. And my year included a goblin attack, which was actually mostly dwarves, followed by two elf attacks and a were deer. And I was doing <laughs> a great job cleaning up. I, I have installed a 20-floor a garbage chute from the surface oh, down to a garbage dump that goes to the magma from within the fortress. And it was doing a wonderful job. And then the game was like, uh-uh. No, we can't have you looking nice and clean over here. We're going to send you 35 elves and war animals to pair with them. Another 40 elves go. And then it sends a were-deer that's invincible, apparently. That were-deer couldn't <laughs> die. So eight, I think eight dwarves got killed or expelled or like seven oh. dwarves oh. because it just couldn't get it. No one could kill it. It was like, a, you know, it was like a giant were-deer, but it wasn't. It was just regular, as regular as a were-deer can be. Those are pretty overpowered creatures. Wear anything. Yeah, that's that's true. And we didn't have a uh, we didn't have a fantastic guardian angel this time around. So you know it was a little different circumstances (laughs) than the last time. Just saying. Sorry, Swolfie. I the her death still weighs heavy on my mind. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I'm gonna take that personally. No, 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 no. You did what you had to do. I ultimately I agree with your policies, but I had to kill her. And that was the first time Dwarf Fortress ever uh, presented me with any real drama that I felt. I had to mm. kill Talto. I liked her, and I killed her. Yeah, it, it, it goes hard if you, if you like, look into characters and such. But the game is really trying to, to make sure the game is not as smooth as, as it could have been. For example, I, I come into a, a episode, and I'm like, okay, let's try and get some raiding done. And what happens, I don't get any rating done because we're getting attacked so much and I have to, like, clean up things. Yeah. So, oh, my God. Like, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm actually trying to raid. I'm not going for the tower, even though I probably should. But I can't raid the elven civilization. It's way too big. I can't raid the goblin civilization. It's way too big. And when I did that, they just got stuck and I got attacked and ugh, everything was terrible. Well, I have uh, two words for you, Roland. Grizzly bears. Yeah, we have grizzly bears now. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go, uh, we're going to march them out there. You know, I don't know how many grizzly bears it's going to take, but, <laughs> but we got them. Uh, we also need to get another giant leopard. How did we, be, how did we become at war with the elves? Do you remember? No, I absolutely have no clue. One day they um, just hated dwarves. us. Yeah. Yeah. They just stopped coming yeah. after a while. And then we, we uh, received some of the elven ambers. And I, I figured the second the elves stopped coming in, because, you know, I, I tend to look forward to, to trading for exotic animals, uh, they just weren't there. So I was like, what is happening? And then uh, one time I actually checked it and I saw, oh, we're, we're actually at war with the elves. I assume it has something to do with our parent civilization that just started attacking the elves and we're just a very lonely fortress over there. Yeah, could be. I went into Legends before we started this, and I found that our civilization had joined those elves in attacks against goblins, particularly at a site called Watchpad, for over 100 years on a yearly basis. So we seem to be good friends. And then as soon as we start our fort, they're like, "Uh, 
well, who are these guys? Hmm. Yeah, the uh, the elves being at war is troublesome because now we can't get more giant leopards. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very sad. Uh, which I really wanted to make giant leopard capes for the uh, yeah. the boners, my personal squad. Yeah, yeah. That... Can't you go and raid and capture the animals if you if you do a raid on their civilization? Yeah, but the the possibility of us actually catching a giant leopard is fairly small because uh, the elves. You know, you have to imagine it as there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of animals, and the pool of what we could technically steer is very large. But mm. the possibility that they actually decide for like one of the maybe ten giant leopards, or one of the apparently million mandrels that they have, they probably <laughs> just take a lot of mandrels. War mandrels. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, I had to deal with some of them, some of the mandrels. I've done some developments in terms of uh, a new forge. There's magma forges now. Well, magma smelters, the forge has yet to be set up. So that's kind of troublesome. I was so close. Uh, speaking in terms of when you put orders in and stuff for food and things, I do I do put a lot of, of restraints on myself because part of me wants to just be like, no, we're going to organize this like this. We're going to, all these things are going to work this way. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a bloodline fortress. You know, I got play it cool, work with, uh, you know, cooperative attitude. But at some t- at some points, it works really interesting because you'll submit a, like a manager order for say lavish meals, 500 lavish meals or whatever. And I've actually sort of taken on the the role internal role in the game of the manager in in a way because i'll see your orders and i'll be like i see roland has submitted a request for more lavish meals allow me to create an order an actual so i'll like get rid of the 500 lavish meals i'm like well if we make actually 100 per season and uh we do that well given these particular conditions that should satisfy the 500 and then continue to make the lavish meals in the future, blah, blah, blah. They type in this stuff in and I'm like, I'm the, I'm actually the manager here. <laughs> like I've actually become the man, like Roland is simply submitting requests of me to, and, and, you know, I try to set up the workstations cause I'm like, Roland is going to need steel for the spear. So, all right, so let's uh, organize this. And I almost set up a farm in fact for paper making. I was like, I could do a two story crafting thing. I could use the downstairs to dump water in order to create a farm below where we'll grow papyrus or something, whatever we can grow. And then the top story will become the processing for paper making. And I was like, cause Roland wants books, you know, Roland asks for <laughs> books and I, as the manager will now create a workflow and hire dwarves to to create a bookmaking industry. Do you find that your fortress is more balanced with two of you managing it? Or have you even had it running long enough to, to know that? Do you find that but though really the balance is better because of two different styles? Hmm. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree. I have a very like we have a good military going. We have uh, a lot of a lot of food we had uh, we have a lot of drinks we have a lot of other stuff like we have even an automated millstone and uh like a cool waterfall entrance kind of thing going on and there's a lot of stuff happening at once all over the place and yeah like a functioning justice system but also a functioning farming system and also a functioning cool side project where we have like a small 
how would we even call this like a reverse aquarium in the river um there's a lot of stuff happening yeah yeah an aquarium in the in the the kind that you visit not the kind you keep on your your desk like a, a museum of fish yeah 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 it is i'd say it's definitely more balanced especially in the context of what can go wrong so for something to destroy singe metal it's going to have to land first on the right year and it's going to have to exploit a weakness that isn't covered by the the developments of a year when the the player who counters that threat was playing for example a wear attack on my year was actually a danger to the fort because i usually get lazy with those but I took it seriously this time because Singe Metal is rather important. But uh, that was a real threat to the fortress because I don't have too much experience at doing all of the motions correctly. A lot of times it takes down my fort. Then on, on Roland's ear, where something he might normally neglect that normally may cause a fortress to fail, I probably have that covered. And so a threat really has a small window. It kind of has to hit us at the right year. Mm-hmm. when we're vulnerable or else the other guy has it figured out. So normally I, I totally ignore justice, for example, and maybe someone who needs to be imprisoned doesn't get imprisoned. It goes berserk in the tavern and gets away with it. And now there's a spiral or something, but you know, Roland's got that set up. So we're good. Yep. 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 Next time y'all need to embark to a evil biome. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that is true. But I think the next time we would make a bloodline fortress, I would suggest that we actually take a lot less dwarves in. Make sure that it's all focused and we don't overproduce and there is no clutter. And when there's clutter, we we throw things away because it's it's really hard. You know, I'm 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 the type of guy that clutters in his fortresses as well and as a in his real life. But that's not the point. <laughs> So, so making sure that the fortress actually runs very smoothly is that is hard, especially if you have like two mines at the same thing, you know, like two cooks at the same soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is actually what what would kill the fortress on my end, you know, like clutter or like when uh, I get two sieges in and there's just so much clutter that my my FPS slowly go down, then I would not be able to finish finish the fortress just of FPS death. But, yeah. uh, and you, you swap one year at a time, right? Yeah. Well, you will be glad to know I brought us up 20 FPS through uh, the cleanup that I've done. Oh, so we're up from 40 something to 60 almost. Uh, we, we, att- we occasionally go over 60. So on my machine, I was 40. Now I'm 60. You should see a, a bump up too. I don't know where your processor uh, lands, but yeah, those are, I think ultimately a bloodline fortress is ours is very successful. I feel like everyone should try one, but it really works because we don't have a lot of overlap in what we like to do. So Roland doesn't care if I say, well, I hope you don't care if I say (laughs) move some of the production that he's doing to a more sensible place for the crafting system as a whole. Like recently, right now, the biggest move I'm doing this is the largest move of Roland's setup that I've ever done. So I'm kind of nervous, but I'm moving all of the bar production by smelting ores to the, to the basement. And I'm leaving the upstairs as a melting operation for gear from the surface, which hopefully the fact that we are now on magma forges sort of uh, forgives me for dabbling with your, your prior work. 
but oh no uh, that that was barely work i just slapped it into some room so i get some things done and this is also something if i if i may just uh slide into this uh that has happened to me as you said you you become the manager uh, you know i slap in the the 500 lavish meals and the funny thing is i i technically know how to put up the manager stuff right but it's it's a bit iffy it's not my my thing so i just kind of actually slapped it in there in hopes that you would see that and maybe maybe get on crafting <laughs> and maybe fix it for me because like manager for me is like make me five steel swords thank you very much like one time i'm not gonna dabble with this anymore and yeah. um so so i'm i'm definitely learning from just looking at your layout that's true yeah but yeah it's uh, it's something that could go wrong i imagine if you and the person you're doing a bloodline fortress with like to do the same things i could see this not working out so well but we happen to have a pretty good synergy and i think one of the most one of the weirdest things to come out of it is what neither of us do. So we have this great fortress. We got crafting floors. We're making hemp uh, clothing. I'm making socks. Sorry, but we're totally making socks. But we're still making trousers and shirts. I just doubled our clothing industry output. Uh, well, I doubled our cloth output. I haven't done a second clothes making workshop. Anyway, all this stuff is happening, right? We got amazing food. We got a cool entrance. We got a justice system. We got nobles. I satisfied all their requirements. We don't have a single crafts guild. We've, we haven't satisfied a single petition, I think. We just, that, neither that of us okay. care. Neither yeah, of us that care. that is okay. Yeah. No. Guilds are one of my favorite, favorite aspects. I love the idea of... Maybe of, we should bring you in on the bloodline, guilds. you know, so we can have a complete <laughs> fort because... <laughs> We actually tried early on in the podcast doing a uh, doing a Bloodline Fortress called Lurid Whips, and I don't really know what – I think that maybe one of the things you need to do is you need to stream it. You need to actually have some accountability so that you actually get down and do it because I got lazy. Mm. It's like, yeah, I'll do, it. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow, and, and I, you know, it just tended to never, never get done. Yeah, I think the longer um, it ran to the – the harder it was to then kind of remember where you'd left off. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think Did, that was our problem. It'd be like four weeks later. Like what was happening there? I can't remember anymore. And three people, maybe too many. Did you guys have a end goal in mind? Cause we're kind of very loose and haven't quite focused down on what we want to do with the fort. Yeah. The end goal was to teach Jonathan how to play dual fortress. <laughs> <laughs> Basically the end goal was don't die. That sounds like teaching someone how to drive a car by driving them to the store in the car and then putting them in the driver's seat and saying, drive home. Maybe if we tried another one, it would go go better. But yeah, I think Tony was right. Um, you forget where you left off, especially whenever it's three people and it's, you know, you get it, you drop it off and you don't see it again until two game years later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I try to send, I do like a little write-up, even though I've done the streams. First of all, my streams run very long because I spend a lot of the game doing menu stuff and not watching things run. So I can make a year last seven hours of streaming or more, 10 hours even. So I don't expect uh, Roland to come and watch 10 hours of content. And although I try <laughs> to do my wrap-ups at the end of the stream, those even run on. So I do actually do little write-ups. <laughs> Uh, of like the important things that if he doesn't know might explode, you know, like you have to know about this, right? Like I, I told him about the, the forge in this latest one. I was like, you have to install this last forge because right now the dwarves are going to not be able to forge things in the basement without it. 
blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I do these write-ups because you kind of have to, it's, that's one of the most important things is knowing where you're leaving off. And the stream would work. The stream would work, except we're on radically different schedules. Roland's in university yeah. and on a completely different time zone. And that's a totally different life schedule than someone working a, a seven to three job, you know, in the you know, Western United States. So I can't expect him to get to the stream. So doing the write-ups really helps, I think. No, oh, yes. So, oh, yes. It kind does. of here's what happened. Yeah, yeah. Can't I mean, that's very that important to, in my opinion, it's part of doing the bloodline successfully. And I can catch Roland streams because I just put in my headphones at work and listen to it so I know what's happening. But it's hard to put your headphones in at university. No, or you know? actually, you're mostly uh, streaming when I'm asleep. Yeah, that's true. Or when I just wake up and go to university. And so when I'm there, you're usually just done. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But doing the write-ups really helps with the bloodline, I think. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it does. Because I just can go uh, check, you know, like we have 10 points today. Let's see what he did. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot. We got grizzly bears now. So it, it does help, especially because I have a, like a goldfish brain. After 10 hours of my stream, you've forgotten what I said in the first hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I usually check them a little bit too late. So either I already started streaming, I usually cut mine in, in half because I, I can't sit here and do like a 10 hour stream, even though I wish I could. So I try to cut them into like four hour streams. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I have to watch the end of your stream right before I start my year just to like remember. But do you guys ever take notes when you know you're about to leave your own personal fortress for a long time? You ever like note down what you're doing? <laughs> you know how you can change from uh, actually digging to just marking things to be dug for mining? Yeah. I will leave notes, not through the notes sexual process, but I'll leave great big notes like pointing an arrow and <laughs> say things like, like uh, the office is here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes so, do that. So I'll write myself notes on my uh, on my actual map. That's good. Yeah. What gets me is the is the temples and stuff. Like figuring out which room is which temple and which thing is which workshop or which guild hall or whatever. It's it gets super confusing to me. Oh yeah. Like, on screen labels would be nice, wouldn't they? Uh, would be neat. Something you over. can do is uh, remember that the name of the location is the name of this arbitrary entity that is the location which can span many zones uh for things like that but each right. zone can also be named using the control n function so when you make the temple right away whatever the location is it could be like the 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 you know sentient blueberries or something you can name the location knock gold temple and then you just hit i and you scroll over the location and you're like oh yeah that's the temple to knock gold you know, I don't know what the scenting of blueberries is. I don't know what the hell that's telling me, you know, but this tells me. That's hmm. true. That's true. But you have to actually hit I and scroll over it. Oh, yeah. It would be great to be able to have like an index of named things, items, yeah. so that you can zoom to them by going to your, like you hit control tilde and you see the, uh, the list of things that you've named. I will often forget. Okay. So where is that particular? Yeah. Craft store. Oh, I see. Where is yeah. that particular? If you need to find the location and not just figure out what this location is, but where that exactly, location is. Exactly. Even even in the locations menu, you can't zoom to the location from the locations menu. Yeah, it would be great to to be able to say, okay, so I am still short 
about a thousand dollars or a thousand units worth of value for this for this room to be able to to fulfill my my contract with the guild. I need to so which which place is that that I need to add another artifact to? And yeah, you have to actually hit I and start looking around. Yeah, because the denomination is another thing. That's not even the location name, right? So the guild, I think the guild um, requirements. Oh, you know what? It's all complicated. I can't even remember exactly how it works. (laughs) If Tarn Adams is listening, a little bit more flexibility with engraving things, allowing us to engrave constructed floors and walls would make this so much easier. Because one reason not to decorate the floor of a temple in a way that's easily recognized at a glance, for example, just put a big N on the floor in gold or something for the not gold temple, Mm -hmm. uh, is because you can't engrave it then. You can't engrave a construction. So... People want to engrave their temples, and that's also a reason why people don't dig out the gems in their walls, because then you can't engrave it. Uh, if, if we could engrave <laughs> well, it. Well, in Lord Whips, you know, in Lord Whips, I put we had a big empty space, and I put an actual logo in flooring of the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable that's podcast true. logo. It looked pretty good. That was, I do like that kind of stuff too. But yeah, it. Uh, but yeah, if you're gonna, if you want to smooth or engrave the floors, then. You can't do that because that's constructing flooring. Uh, yeah, and smoothing and engraving is super powerful, especially now in singe metal. Because uh, I, in the early stages, I do mass smoothing, right? But then as things go on and the smoothing jobs get smaller, I dedicate smoothing to a few dwarves. We now have two legendary engravers and legendary plus five. And then we have one, I think, that's pretty close, like legendary plus three or whatever. So I made this uh, tomb for uh, our new baron, right? Because he's a baron. He needs a tomb or whatever. I'll, you know, I'll help him make use of that tomb too, but that, <laughs> all in time. But I was like, okay, so I made a tomb. And it's like, it's a peasant's tomb. This tomb is not good enough for me. I'm like, okay, what do you want, dude? All right, so I engraved it. And he's like, it's a mausoleum for me? And I'm like, all I did was have these guys chisel some, some you know, stuff into the walls, probably about fighting mandrills. I don't even know what's on there. But these legendary, <laughs> there was like six masterpiece engravings in this one small room because wow. we have legendary engravers. So it immediately mausoleum. Yeah. That's a change I made recently, too. Um, I don't remember whether it was on, Nathan, one of your streams or if it was Tony or Roland suggested that I not have my entire population be uh, engravers, that you just limit yeah. it so that they become legendary. And early on, it's fine. Almost makes it too easy to bump up the value of your rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Early on, it's fine because I find that early on, you need to smooth out whole fortress levels. You need to smooth out massive amounts of stuff. So you just, you got to get people on smoothing. So you send 20 dwarves to smooth it, whatever. But you want to leave just enough smoothing left for a group of a few to really get their skills up to snuff during that those final smoothing operations so that when you start engraving things, you got some real uh, skilled engravers. And so that really helps because then your engravings, who cares about the smoothing, right? As long as your engravings are done by experts. Okay, well, we are pushing our limits on time here. They are artificial limits and arbitrary, but we don't uh, want corporate to crack down on us. Yeah, and yeah. cut our like uh, sending time again. Right, we need more yeah, of those. Yeah, going to be going into overtime here in a minute. And, uh, <laughs> have to pay him time and a half. <laughs> it's ruthless. So thanks so much for coming on, Nathan. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. Maybe the conclusion, maybe with a dire and a tragic conclusion, whatever <laughs> it is, of Singe Metal will uh, warrant another visit. I think you guys might beat the game and get to the credit screen. <laughs> yeah, maybe. The credit screen. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to have you on for a postmortem on Singe Metal whenever, uh, whenever that does roll around. What would be a successful fortress to you for how many years you make it last? Uh, I think a successful fortress is almost immortal until you take your own risks with it. Mm -hmm. I'd say that, well, it kind of depends what the goal is. And that's something we're going to start figuring out soon, I think. Because I I feel like we're finally, our checklist of mechanical things to do has dwindled. And we have to start thinking (laughs) about what we're going to do with all of this, you know, this prosper that we've gifted ourselves with these metals and stuff. So once we figure that out, we'll be able to say like, well, maybe we'll go try to take down the elves. This should take maybe a few years or something and, and get an idea of how long it'll run from there. Cause right now it's just running into inter- eternity. People keep asking yeah. me, uh, do you guys have an end goal for this? I'm like, uh, not yet. I guess. I don't know. I think your end goal should be the steam release. <laughs> right, it should. It should we should just run it till the steam release. Run it till the yeah, steam then, release, then effortlessly uh, create the new bloodline in the steam release. You know, I am going to make a credit screen though. You've inspired me, Tony. I'm, the credit <laughs> screen is going to be a roll of the dead slash missings uh, missing units list. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. oh, that's and good. It's gonna be, once it's like ten pages long because a tragedy has happened, uh, I'm just going to have that roll. <laughs> You're playing with me to the forgotten beast that helped us thin the herd, <laughs> right? Eliminating the weakest of us, so yep. the strongest could live. I'll try to make a ten-minute credits roll out of it. Oh, okay, I see. That's a good idea. I like it. So, Nathan, as if it wasn't obvious that you have a YouTube channel, how would people follow you or, or find out more about you online if they would like to? Well, you can find my YouTube channel. It's called Techud. And you can also find me on Twitch. It's uh, Twitch TV, twitch.tv slash techud. Uh, and uh, that's T-E-K-K-U-D, uh, as it's spelled in the in the game. Also, I regrettably got a Twitter, but I'm not using it because I hate Twitter. So I don't expect any content <laughs> there, but it's techud1. Well, uh, I can't wait to check it out. <laughs> right? Maybe I'll post the food that I make. I made some mozzarella sticks yesterday. Who knows? That sounds delightful. Uh, well, every podcast release goes onto Twitter here. Uh, we did have a Facebook uh, channel until I deleted my Facebook account, deleted, hard deleted it because uh, of the evil that 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 tends to do, yeah, in yeah. my opinion. But I'm not touching we Facebook. won't go there again. Yeah. Anti shout out <laughs> to that company. I don't know if I even will use Twitter at all. And then Facebook, I'm not. There's You won't even get me to consider making a Facebook page for yeah, this so channel. Reasonable. This is now 2010. <laughs> right. I'll make a MySpace before I make a Facebook. Actually viable. <sighs> okay, guys. All right, then. Well, hope everyone enjoys uh, enjoys their fortressing over the next couple of weeks. And um, until next time, thanks again, Nathan, for coming on. Thank you. And everybody out there, happy fortressing. All right. See you. This has been the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable Podcast. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Stop by and leave a message or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. You can find video content on our YouTube channel, and you can send us an email at urist at dfroundtable.com. 
That's U-R-I-S-T at dfroundtable.com. Please consider donating to the creators of Dwarf Fortress at bay12games.com. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can find us at patreon.com slash dfroundtable. This is a conversational podcast. All craft storeship is of the highest quality.